following is a production of the Lance J Radio Network and Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. The opinions and views expressed are certainly those of the host and do not represent the views of Lance J Radio Network. You're listening to Jones and Brown. Both you the crazy. Both Mike Jones and John Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jonesy and Brown Show. He is Mike Jones. I am John Brown. We talk sports whenever we feel like talking sports. I wish we would say every week. It just doesn't always work out that way. But look, we are the NFL draft is on its way. The NFL draft is almost here. It's almost that time of year. It's time for all the people to start crunching the numbers, to start looking at the game uh, game film, to start making the case for why their team's general manager and front office either sucks or is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, if you live here in Philly, you're probably making the case for the former, not the latter, but it is what it is. Wanted to bring in an expert, wanted to bring in some a good friend of ours to talk NFL draft. He has one of the most uh, goodness. I've been paging through this all afternoon. This man has created a, gra- uh, a draft guy. And let me tell you something. For 10 bucks, you could pretty much know Everything there is to know. You'll be out there. I'm look, I'm not even gonna call myself like like Mel Kuyper or anything like that. But I'm gonna sound like Mel Kuyper when I come when I come out here. I'm gonna take all this knowledge and I'm gonna jump on somebody else's show and just pass it off as my own. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us here, Emery Hunt from footballgameplan.com. Emery, thank you for joining us today, man. Now I appreciate you guys having me on. All right, now oh, look. You can hear Emery. You can see Emery. He, he's talking football on CBS.com, on CBS Sports HQ all the time. Look, man, uh, this this is a great guy. How long did it take you probably? How, I mean, not even probably. How long did it take you to put something like this together? You know, it takes about a good two and a half weeks, to be honest, because as I'm watching film and once I finish watching a prospect, I just put my notes into the draft guide and move on to the next player. So it's nothing that requires anything different than what I'm doing. Normally I was writing these out and just keeping the written notes to myself and just put out the video stuff uh, that just shows the grade um, and ranking. Uh, but I, two years ago, I was like, you know, let me just put out a draft guide just to be a little bit more uh, transparent. I always wanted to do one, but I just didn't think it was the right time to do one. And last year was my first draft guide and it, help make my process a lot easier because uh, it also keeps you kind of um, accountable. You know, instead of putting a, just a grade out there, you can see people can see your thought process. You share why you came about that grade, what games you watch, all that good stuff like that. So it's been cool. It's been fun. And, and you know, it's been getting a lot of good positive feedback. And like you said, it's over 580 prospects, almost 600 pages. Um, just it helps you cover the draft, helps you cover preseason training camp and as guys move in and out of the roster as you may know um you know let's say for instance last year the eagles signed a guy Manashe bailey from morgan state no one knew who that was but he was in our draft guide we had a full scout <laughs> report on Manashe bailey uh who's now with the new york jets so that's the type of info you get in the draft guide all right so let me ask so first, you this hold, hold on you, you see he's trying he, He's he's already trying to work an inroad because he knows I went to Morgan State University. So he's already so he's just trying to throw that one in there real quick. And I appreciate that. Go ahead, Jonesy. All right. So here here's my question. So this is you said your second draft guide. So this process began for you under pandemic circumstances. It seems like, but 
it, it, with that considered, how is it for you trying to evaluate players as opposed to normal circumstances when you can actually go to games and evaluate a lot, have potential to evaluate people up close a lot more readily. People play more games. Guys aren't opting out and things like that. How, like, explain to me, like, what do you find is, like, the biggest challenge in trying to evaluate talent under these circumstances? Well, it's unique because this year we didn't have a lot of small school players that are in this draft class because they punted to the spring. So mm-hmm. it actually made my job a little bit easier. Uh, last year's draft guide, I had close to 700 prospects graded. This year, um, it's just over like 580 or something like that. It's close to 600. And um, so that's been the biggest change. The, the biggest okay. difference was that I wasn't able to go out to, like you talked about, to the different games, but I also wasn't able to go hit the all-star game circuit. I'm going the entire month mm. of January from the beginning mm. of January until after the senior bowl at four different all-star games. And that wasn't able to happen this year. Uh, so it's just been, you know, I wasn't able to be at practice for a lot of these prospects. So I had to really rely on uh, watching those guys film and doing a lot of work pre uh, all-star game circuit. So therefore I'm not behind. So it kind of forced me to work differently uh, mm-hmm. but still was able to work the efficient manner that I was able to work in uh, in previous years. You talked about that. You talked about uh, smaller schools and other schools playing in the spring as uh, instead of the fall as a upperclassman in a program like that. Does that work against them? Is it is it being able to be scouted, you know, scouted in these uh, in the all star games and, and, and combines and pro days or is, does it work out for them? Because it's like you got fresh tape, you know, you have you have scouts and and organizations being able to say, hey, you know, I saw them play two weeks ago. I saw them play three weeks ago. Like, how does that work? How does that dynamic like how does that change how teams go into uh, picking players? Well, guys had to declare by January mm-hmm. or by March 1st, honestly. If you're playing in the spring, you had until March 1st to declare for the 2021 draft. So guys that are playing in the spring at these smaller colleges are not going to be in the draft. Right? Okay. Yeah. So okay. they just roll over. And plus this year, uh, the NCAA gave everybody that was seniors that free year. So this year didn't mm-hmm. really count. So mm-hmm. these guys get to come back. Um, they put out tape, you, you know, they get to come back and, and, you know, build on what they did in the spring, in the fall. So it's just outstanding mm-hmm. to see uh, guys playing in the spring and just be able to maximize their opportunities. Okay. So with that being said, I want to get into it a little bit now. Um, as you were evaluating tape, was there any one player that really – surprised you like in a good way like anybody that stood out to you so this year like not the big name big school prospect that everybody knows but you know if you get what i mean like somebody who we wouldn't expect i'm gonna use someone from a a major school because he didn't play this year and i i wasn't familiar with his game until i watched him on 2019 film and that was joe tryon a defensive end out of washington um, you like in a, how I evaluate talent, I just go by, I go in alphabetical order by school. Right. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to Washington, I didn't seen so many DNs and edge rushers. 
that was like you know this kind of the uh, kind of okay class i i go watch try on i'm like jesus like how is this dude not being talked about in the top 15 that's how impressive his tape was so i was shocked uh that this dude was this good because again i hadn't seen uh, you know joe Tryon in an exclusive manner and then you know in 2019 you're kind of watching everybody and kind of stick to who's seniors and who have declared so i was actually shocked at how talented this dude was um coming out of washington so he was one that really surprised me and everybody else you kind of watched throughout the year uh so you, you're very familiar with but for him as an opt-out guy uh to be that explosive that dynamic that athletic he, he reminded me a lot of montez sweat mm, okay very athletic guy to compare him to mm-hmm. mm, that's good to, that's, that's good to hear like where do you like a, a player like that where do you see him going i mean is that are we talking top 10 top 15 top 20 probably top 20 because the nfl loves long athletic mm-hmm. guys that can run and you know he fits the mold and the, the fact that the matter is he had a you know he tested well at his pro day so he checks all those boxes that people mm-hmm. want those athletic testing guys to, to have but the on-field production is where it needed to be and you can kind of see the upside the you know the the uh trajectory is going in the right direction because he was able to put out good films to close out 2019 didn't play this year but was still able to keep in good football shape and good athletic shape to test well so he's checking all these boxes they're they're looking to, to, to take a guy like that within the top 20 especially in a class where you have some questions about the edge rusher and the depth of the position well, you talk, you're talking about edge rushers. You talk about a player like a, a Joe Tryon, and you have him ranked top. Like you have him ranked at the top. Like what? How big is the gap between a player like Tryon and a player that you have second, like a Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma? Well, Perkins is is strong. He they go about their business in different ways. I think uh, Tryon does a great job of utilizing a lot of different <clears> ways to get to the quarterback. Perkins is a power rusher. Like he can one arm stab and walk you back into the to the quarterback. He did that against Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle against Oklahoma uh, versus Oklahoma State. And and so the way Perkins rushes is a little bit different. I think he's not as athletic as Tryon. So athletically, Tryon tests out a little bit more, uh, or graded out a little bit higher than a guy like Perkins, who I still have a good grade on. But that would be the difference between those two is the athleticism and the upside and the fact that Tryon has that upside trajectory because he didn't play this year um, and he's building off what he did well to close out 2019. Okay. So um, I guess this is kind of the, 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 I don't want to say layup, but the expected question. Let's flip to the other side. Of the ball. <clears throat> Excuse me. The other side of the ball for a second. Everybody loves the quarterback. Everybody's wondering about the quarterbacks. Of course, we assume Trevor Lawrence is going number one. And I've heard a lot of talk about Zach Wilson going number two. And then once we get past that is where there really seems to be some uncertainty. How would you evaluate just – in isolation before we compare him to anybody else how would you evaluate a prospect like justin fields he's my number two quarterback and so if you know if i were the jets i would probably go with justin fields but i do understand the zach wilson appeal and wilson is my number three quarterback i have like an 85 grade on on fields and an 83 on wilson so the gap in my opinion is not that far off but i like fields because he has the right 
temperament to play the position. You got to be able to handle pressure. It's the same thing with Jalen Hurts. You know, you have that ability to, to not be flustered. It's the same thing with you know, Deshaun Watson not being flustered. That's what you want at the position, especially playing out in New York. You better have someone that can handle the moment, that can weather the the you know the the, the storm, so to speak, and weather the the atmosphere of playing out here. Uh, because we've seen quarterbacks have issues, albeit talented quarterbacks, not be able to handle the pressure of playing mm-hmm. in New York. And I think Fields uh, has that temperament. We saw that against Clemson. He, they took away one of his weapons when he got mm-hmm. smacked. He took away his ability to run. So he had to beat a team one-handed, and he was able to do that to the tune of six touchdowns. So for me, Fields is, is just a notch above Wilson, although Wilson is very talented. Okay. Do you feel do you feel like the criticism against Justin Fields is justified, or in your eyes, when you watch him, he does he pass the smell test? He passes the smell test. He did. He, think mm-hmm. about the pressure he had coming into Ohio State. You know, mm-hmm. Dwayne Haskins just set Ohio State records, NCAA records, Big Ten records, and was a Heisman finalist. And so you lose that caliber of quarterback, and you bring in a guy that was virtually, you know unknown at George. He played a little bit, but didn't play the position consistently, right? Because they had Fromm in front of him. So he had to follow that up. And he went out there and threw, what, 41 touchdowns to only three interceptions that year. And then himself became a Heisman finalist. So I would say he's been able to handle the pressure uh, from day one. So yeah, he definitely passes the smell test. Okay. So with that said, um, now you mentioned Haskins. How and I think I know how you'll answer this because I I've done a little research into this myself. But for everybody listening, how do you compare Haskins as a quarterback to Fields as a quarterback? Are they similar? Do you think that that not where Ohio State quarterbacks are known to disappoint in the NFL level is fair, or do you think these are two completely different players? They're two completely different players with two completely different skill sets. Haskins is more of your classic drop-back passer. Um, Phil's one has athleticism, and so he's a dual threat. So that right there is a difference. The second difference, Haskins' arm is stronger. Haskins can literally throw the football wherever he wants to on the field. Phil has a strong arm, but Haskins has a stronger arm. And so, but I think where they defer is the fact that you have an athletic guy that can make these plays on the move and that can hurt you in a different, in in a a wide array of ways. And we saw both guys overcome adversity at Ohio State. Haskins wasn't the reason why they lost to Purdue in the one game they lost that season uh, in Haskins' first, you know, only year starting at quarterback. And we saw Justin Fields overcome adversity time and time again. So, they both have that mental component that you want to see, the ability to, to fight through that adversity, different skill sets. And uh, but Justin Fields to me has the upside because he's also you know getting better every year. And I think that's something Haskins still has upside. I think quietly Pittsburgh got themselves a, a steal by picking him up for cheap, essentially, after he's getting he got released by Washington because of his own doing. Uh, but I think there are two different players and them playing at Ohio State is just by happenstance because if Haskins doesn't leave, Fields doesn't go to Ohio State. He probably mm-hmm. goes somewhere else. So both guys are, are were good prospects, uh, and Fields just you know has goes about his business a different way. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at this this football guy as we're talking, and 
bro, this is a lot, man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm over here and I'm trying to move on to like wide receivers. And let me tell you, this man had this guy. You got split in wide receivers. You got flanker wide receivers. You got the slot. You got inside guys. Then you look. Bottom line is, you every it is everything you need. Talking to Emery Hunt from FootballGamePlan.com about the draft, his his 2021 draft guide. I want to move to wide receivers. Um, look, first round talent. Who do you see? Are there are there a lot of first round talent uh, talent at the top of this uh, top of this draft at wide receiver? Absolutely. Are you thinking about Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, mm-hmm. the, you know the cast of characters? You know those three guys. I think are the elite talents and you know, there's something for everyone. You know, you can find guys way into the late first or even the second round that can be legit day one starters. You're thinking of Kadarius Tony. You're thinking of, uh, you know, someone like um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Diami Brown. I also like uh, Baker from from um, South Alabama, who probably going to go later, but I have a really good grade on him. There's a ton of good guys. Marshall out of LSU is, you know, Jamar Chase's teammate or ex-teammate. There's a ton of good receivers. And you're going to see that a lot in every draft class because of how college football has. um, Passing game has been. been So you're going to see a lot of good receivers and a lot of good corners. Um, Mm -hmm. You're going to see that in bunches as more drafts come out, unless they go back to, you know, the run game being heavy and you'll see more talented old linemen and running backs that'll go high in the draft. But until then, you're going to see receivers and cornerbacks, talented ones, come out in, in bunches. Do you, I guess, do you see, the, I guess, just looking just looking at your, your draft class, how you have these guys ranked, basically, is do you think there's going to be a position that kind of dominates the top of this draft, or do you think it's going to be spread around where you're going to see your fair share of O-linemen, your D-linemen, a couple of quarterbacks, a couple of wide receivers? Like, I guess people aren't necessarily – unless you're a special caliber running back, you're not seeing a lot of running backs at the top of the draft. Do you think – will that change, or do you think this is going to be more along – like more more of the same? I think you'll see your run-on quarterbacks – and then you'll probably see a run on corners and and also mm-hmm. receivers. You'll see a run on o- offensive tackle. So when you see those four positions have those runs, it's going to push down edge rusher, running back, uh, D tackle. You probably won't even see a defensive tackle taken in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll see the early run on QBs. Then you'll see the run on linemen. Then you'll see a, a short brief run on receivers, then probably corners, and then once you get to about pick 24, you'll start you'll start seeing a grab bag of assortment of, of, of players. You may see a running back. You may see um, a safety or, you know, so you may see a lot of different things once you hit, you know, 22, 23 uh, and 24. Okay, so you get towards the end of the first round, then you start to see a little bit more need based you or just best player available rather than I have to get this specific position because I put I value that position so highly in today's NFL. And when um, you're, you're, I'm sorry, and you and when you're playing and when you're picking that late, you tend to not have too many holes, so you tend to go best player available. You know, let's say if you're Pittsburgh, you don't really have many holes, so you can probably take a running back. You can probably take someone that you point. wouldn't normally take. You know, 
Very good point. Yeah, you think when you look at it that way, from yeah, from that perspective, those are your playoff teams and your better teams picking at that point in the draft usually. So, um, one other prospect I am extremely curious what your opinion on is. We only have you for a couple more minutes. I know you're a busy man. Mm-hmm. Um, a position that my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, seems to ignore quite regularly is the linebacker position and. Just twisting that knife, man. Micah Parsons <laughs> out of Penn State. He's in Eagles' backyard, basically. What do you think about that guy? I like Micah Parsons. And you're right about them ignoring the linebacker position. There's a couple teams that fit that mold of kind of ignoring the linebacker position. The Giants could be one. Uh, the Saints could be one. Um, they tend to ignore that position for whatever reason. But Parsons would be a good fit. He could play inside or outside backer. Um, another one that didn't play this year opted out. But you understand why, because he was already considered to be a top 15 pick. And now he goes through the whole testing part and that kind of meshes up what people thought of him. And he still has growth within this game. And because he can run, he can move. uh, He can play on the inside, play on the outside. I think if the Eagles were to take the linebacker, that would be the guy that that you would want to take um, in the middle. Because, again, he, he will give them an impact player at the second level. And I feel like so. And it's something that uh Jonesy and I have talked about, and it's a point that I've made where I feel like I feel the top you want your your you want your number one draft pick to be an impact player week one. That you know you expect you hope that the player that you get at the top, and there's sometimes you know you you can draft a uh, uh, you could draft a project. You know sometimes you don't you bring in a quarterback you want him to sit for a while. But at, at some point, you, you expect that the player that you get at the top of your draft, whether it be night one or night two, to come in and be an impact player, make a difference week one. Like, you bring up Michael Parsons. That's Are you saying that's that guy? He's somebody who comes in, you put him in the middle of your your defense alignment, and he's making a difference. Michael Parsons is a, a difference maker. I believe so. I think when you're taking guys in the first round, you're aiming for – impact starters mm-hmm. you know second round you're, you're aiming for starters third round you're aiming for you know rotational contributors and everyone else you kind of can find upside that okay i'm gonna take this a gamble on this guy a gamble on this guy because i could he could probably coach him up to be this but when you're looking at the first round you're looking at almost finished products and that's where you want to select and if you're talking about someone that can step in and play linebacker today that's michael parsons all right, before we let you go, last question. Dra- when, when the draft starts, where will you be? The draft starts April 29th. I'll mm-hmm. be out there in Cleveland covering it with uh, CBS Sports HQ. Mm-hmm. So you'll see me on uh, the day three broadcast, which will be Saturday, I believe, uh, May mm-hmm. 1st. So, But I'll still be out there in Cleveland. They'll probably have me on a few things uh, here and there. But I know for the day three draft, that's rounds four through seven, mm-hmm. I'll be all over HQ. All right, man. How much sleep do you think you're going to get once the draft starts, man? Oh man, I, I'm trying to sleep. You know, get all my sleep in now. You know, I know once I'm gonna be hopping on different shows and boom, boom, boom. But um, I always will find time to sleep. Don't get me worried. Don't don't, mm. don't worry. I always find time to sleep. All right. Well, when when the dust clears, you got to come back on with us because we we need you to break down whoever the Eagles get. All right. Absolutely. Consider it done. All Appreciate right, my it. man. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Emery Hunt of footballgameplan.com. Uh, once again, let us know where we can find you, where we can find your work, and where we can pick up this uh, NFL draft guide. 
they could you could find me on Twitter at Fball Game Plan. Subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash football game plan. You could pick up the draft guide at footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. Bro, this, this, there this it draft is. guide is the truth. Y'all need oh, to yeah. pick that started, up. Y'all need I, sent, I started looking at it. You sent it to sent it to me. I started looking. I'm like, yeah, I'm about to dig into this for, yes, for a week yes. or two. I'm about to hit up staples. Like, I need I need to put all this on paper. Oh, this, are you glad you I put this on? I printed out from staples. This is what it looks like. So yeah, you're talking about seven uh, almost six hundred pages, but you you it's good that you printed out this year because uh next year when things get back to normal. You probably won't be able to print this out because it, you probably have to print it out and put it in a binder as opposed to getting a spiral bound because it'll be bigger because you have more teams. I hear you. All right, then once again, that is Emory Hunt Football Game Thank you, my brother. We're gonna bring you you have an open invite. Come back whenever you want, man. Appreciate you guys. Keep doing great work, man. All right. Thank you. All right, we will be right back on the Jonesy and Brown podcast. You feeling this podcast? To hear this and more, go to soundcloud.com slash B-I-T-W sports or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search Best in the World Sports. You're listening to Jonesy and Brown. Brown. I'm Brandon Graham from the Philadelphia Eagles. Every day during the COVID-19 pandemic, our frontline workers are out there serving us. Bus drivers and grocery clerks, sanitation workers, police, firefighters, and healthcare workers. They're taking care of us. Now let's take care of them. Wear a mask when you go outside. Protect yourself and protect others too. We can do this. Let's mask up, Philly. Help stop the spread. And now, a few thoughts from your boy Brown. I got a question for you guys. And I need some help. Hope somebody can hit me up and can answer this question. Do white people put their summer clothes away for the winter? I really want to know this. This is, this is a legitimate question. Because anytime you see that temperature rise to almost 50 degrees, you start seeing 47, 48, 49, you will go outside and see a white person with some shorts on. And I got to be honest with you. I couldn't wear shorts this time of year if i wanted to all my shorts are in a box somewhere in my basement it'll probably take me the entire month of april just to find them i don't know where they are meanwhile white folks always seem to have shorts on deck they always do and they'll have the shorts on and the summertime clothes on when it's 50 degrees 55 degrees 57 degrees whatever let me keep it real with y'all anything under 62 degrees i'm still wearing my winter coat check out your boy brown during the workflow weekdays at 2 p.m on the brown folks group phillygoflow.com The following is a production of the Lance J Radio Network and Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. The opinions and views expressed are strictly those of the host and do not represent the views of Lance J Radio Network. Network. You're listening to Jonesy and Brown. Both you are crazy. Both Mike Jones and John Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Jonesy and Brown. He is Mike Jones. I am John Brown. We're here to talk NBA this week. Uh, we're, in the, we're in that final stretch. Teams are making that playoff push. People are talking about the playoffs. People are talking about post uh, end of season awards. 
So when it comes time to talk basketball, one of the people that we get, one of our, our key, our go-to guys, is my man, our guest this week. Now, Jonesy, his brother has uh, recently been promoted since the last time we had him on the show. The, I'm aware. This I'm brother, aware. first of all, let me tell you something, man. This this brother is like a freedom fighter for NBA writers. He 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 he. he, he this man has taken on the load of representing us, not just Jonesy and Brown. He's he's not the he's not the Jonesy and Brown correspondent, but this man is the self-proclaimed senior. Black correspondent for LibertyBallers.com. The senior black. Co- oh, my goodness. I, I, should we sing like We Shall Overcome or something now that you want to show? Should that be your theme music? Or maybe something. Lift, their, lift no, no, our no, voice no, and no, sing? That, that, that's un- when, when you do. When, how about. No, that, that, that's, that's totally unnecessary. Mm. Do you have uh like do you have like the red, black, and green behind you when you do Liberty Baller Zoom meetings? Uh no, but I do sit in front of a green screen, which is just a black power fist raised. There you uh, go. Like a Juan Carlos in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of my thing. <laughs> and, and, and they're totally they're they're they don't know what to make of it too. They probably have a huge problem with it, I but mean, they're they're afraid yeah. to say something to you, aren't they? I don't. Well, at this point, at this point, not anymore. <laughs> are, are, are they pretty much just like, hey, look, you know what? He does good stuff. He, he's one of the best writers. <laughs> um, I don't know if I necessarily like this, so, but uh, you know what? Uh, all right, hold on, hold on a second. Wait a second. Uh, this is not. This is not to disparage no, anyone else. No, 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 no. We love. No, 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 no. We love Liberty no, Ballers. No, like, listen, white, listen, white, black, brown, Puerto Rican, yes. Asian. We love all of yes. our writers yes. there, all of our yes. podcasters, all of the people that listen and follow. So it's, oh. it's fine. I, I decided to just take up the mantle because mm-hmm. you know what? Uh, the league is over 85% African American, mm-hmm. and I feel that the media writers and people that cover each of these teams, uh, there needs to be ample representation for that league. Mm-hmm. Like, if we were talking about the NHL, you would expect there would be a lot of, uh, white writers, Canadian writers, whatever. Mm-hmm. But since this is a league that is predominantly African-American, I feel that it is in our best interest to have some of the best and brightest African-American minds writing and commenting about our league. And, and that is that is you. That is you. We're not trying. Look, we ain't taking no shots at Liberty Ball. I do what I can. Do, do you th- Look, first of all, it, as many enemies as, as me and Jonesy make out here in these streets, we we ain't in a position to piss off Liberty Ballers. We we, we ain't out here trying to make no enemies. We we love everybody. It's all good. Well, I, well I've, I've already made enemies with, you know, quite a few other, you know, national media types over in uh, Los Angeles, uh, you know, who write for a specific column headed up by a Mr. Bill Simmons. Excuse me. Um... <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I have, I have my squabbles with like local radio personalities too, but you know what? They're old school. They're old guard. They don't get it. They don't want to get it. So, you know what? I just, I just stopped arguing with them because you know what? Less stress on my day. 
and once again, I, and, and as Jonesy's right there with you, and and and, and me, I, I feel like I've I've changed a little. I've, I'm evolving. I'm maturing because I was somebody who was very liberal with giving out the smoke. You know, it's like somebody you know, had an opinion that I just, you know, that I disagreed with, you know, if you, you come at me the wrong way, it's, you, you asking me for the smoke and me being the person that I am, the generous man that I am, the gracious man that I am, I feel obligated to give people what they want. Oh, no, no, no. They can still get it from uh, time to time. From time to from time, time, to time, of course. But in general, I just think social media is a black hole that's mm. really... It's bad when you start going down that black hole most of the times. If you're face-to-face, we'd have have a disagreement. Yeah. If I'm face-to-face with somebody or with someone I actually know and have a relationship with, we can go back and forth all day. With some random on social media, you might get one reply if you're actually talking about the sport, something relevant. But beyond that... Um, yeah, you, you out here talking about black holes, man, man. I'm the black Buck Rogers, bruh. Get me in the space. I'm going in. If that's the black hole, I'm going into it. I'm just ah, that's that's what I gotta do. You, well, but gotta, speaking of black holes in uh-oh. social media, oh boy, that, that would bring me right to my first question. Oh boy, boy. did did you happen to catch LeBron James's shortly lived tweet the other day? I I, I did. Uh, your next? Yeah, that one. I I dug it. I was okay with it. I'm a little bit. I I'm not gonna lie and say that I wasn't a little disappointed that he took it down. I understand why he felt the need to take it mm-hmm. down in that mm-hmm. instance because he's already had his dustings with Laura Ingram, and I can understand him not wanting to deal with that again. But at the same time, he still communicated how he felt about the situation so i still do kind of respect him for that a little bit okay now my thing with that was i had i think i guess i have i'll say it this way it depends on how you interpret his tweet for me i interpreted it in a way where okay i'm okay with the messaging but i've also heard some people interpret it in a way where he's putting a hit out on somebody mm. or something like that. Like, yeah. you're next. And you laugh, but you know at the same time mm-hmm. there are people who will love to try to no, that's fair. like that or something. And mm. so for that point, I was like, okay, I get why you took it down. It was a little ambiguous in the wording. And these days you give people an itch, they'll run three miles with it, trying to bury you just because they have nothing better to do. So from that standpoint, I get mm-hmm. why it was taken down. I was just wondering what your take was on the whole thing. So, so you didn't even hear anyone say something like it was a threat or something, anything like that, because that was one of the first things I heard. I only took it to mean that in the wake of the Derek Chauvin trial, I mm-hmm. only took it to mean that he's going to be the next one to have to face the music. To be held That's accountable. how I interpreted it. But, which, is how, which is how I interpreted it as well. I, You're next to help be held accountable. But, but and like I, like I said, no disrespect to all white folk, but, you know, <laughs> some of them got a little a little upset about it, and I can understand why. It did seem, a li- it did come off a little attacky, which is fine, mm-hmm. but you have to understand where LeBron James and African-American people as a whole are coming from. Mm-hmm. We're just like, all right, 
it just felt really nice to win one for mm. change. So let's try for another one. Like we seem we seem to have a we have a nice little roll here and some momentum. Let mm-hmm. let's go for that two game winning streak. We Why got, not? We got that streak of one in a row after like you know yeah. d- decades decades of losses after decades yeah. of L's. No, I I I am honestly with the both of you on this one. Whereas I think it was one of those statements where you know it it it. it truly shows where this country is as far as race relations where i think most black people i think black people with the exception of jason whitlock all took that to be uh all right time mm-hmm. i have to call it time bell. yeah we don't we don't need to get into that we, we don't have to talk about we don't have to talk about we don't have to talk about Uncle Tom, Jason Whitlock. We don't have to do that. No, well, I, I'm just, right I, I'm that. just putting it out there that if there was it, that, for the most part, people, I think a lot of black people. I, I will not, I, I, I will not, cannot say all black people felt that way, but I think for the most part, people took it for what it meant. You, you're next. We are now. Mm-hmm. You know, there has been a shift in the culture. And now we are seeing cops being held accountable for their actions, for their choices. This is a police officer who made a choice and how they handled a police issue. And now you are next to be held accountable. I think for the most part, as black people, that's what we felt. But I think that there is a uh, a portion of the population who want to dis- who want to derail that conversation, who want to stop going in that direction. So I think it it the tone of the statement was kind of low hanging fruit to the pe- to the people who want to de- derail this conversation. If you don't want to see, if you're somebody who opposes police officers being held accountable. If you want to if you want to derail the conversation of the population holding police officers accountable for their choices, then that's what you know, you're going to take that as a threat. Hey, look, the you know, the top basketball star in the world is out here threatening cops. And I think that's why he took it down because I think the the need for accountability you know, the need for accountability doesn't need comments like that. Doesn't necessarily need comments like that derailing it. We all, you know, we all know this police officer is next to face accountability. And that being accountability in a court of law. Not, you know, not vigilante justice, not, you know, not anything outside the law. But we, we all know that that's what's next. But unfortunately, we can't give ammunition to the critics, to the obstacles, to you know, to the people who want to derail this movement. And I think that's why he took it down. I, I think I, I agree with Adio in the fact that I, you know, I, I, I didn't want him to take it down. Didn't feel like he necessarily needed to take it down. But the fact I understand why. I, I completely understand why, and I also understand. Like I understand Jonesy, what you like, you know, eh, you know. I, I interpreted it the same way. We, I think we all interpreted mm-hmm. it the same way. But as a, a writer and editor myself, I could see where the ambiguity is easy to find. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 And 
as as far as as far as like derailing and uh commenting and all like that, like that's gonna happen. Like for every Alpha, mm-hmm. there's gonna be an Omega. For every mm-hmm. LeBron, for every LeBron James, there's gonna be a Jason Whitlock. For every Stacey Abrams, there's gonna be a Candace Owens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like there's always gonna be that pushback from someone in our same culture group. So while First Amendment rights grant them the ability to say what they want to say it also grants me the right to say you're not I... really correct here and mm-hmm. here's why and you can choose to listen to me or you can choose to ignore me but I have a right to say why what you said what you did what you think is wrong agree agree uh-huh. agree alright let's shift a little bit Let's uh, let's get into a basketball conversation that actually consists of basketball. Let's talk about the fun stuff. Let's let's talk about the fun stuff. Teams are making that playoff push. I want to I want to get both of your opinions on it because this is actually something that uh, Jonesy, you and I have not talked about yet this season, and we got a guy like Adio on, and so I I want his opinion. I want I want to know what the both of you think of this playoff format this year, how they're, how they're doing the playoff with the, the actual play in game. And you know, that's, that that's a trigger word for me and Jonesy, but that, that, that's a whole nother show. But how, how do you feel about that? I, I was a fan of the playing tournament last year. Mm-hmm. I really was. I guess they, um, Give that little extra element for the teams at the bottom half, and it still gives teams that are in like the the ninth, tenth slots like the ability to, you know, try to make that push. Not completely say, all right, yeah, we're done. We don't have to do anything else. And when you look at the teams in the standings in the ninth and tenth slots right now, I have to just pull it up real quick. I think it includes because I know in the East Charlotte is in there. And right, any, right. if you want, mm-hmm. if you want playoff, it, like playoff Lamelo is something I kind of want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The 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 Pacers, the Pacers. Thanks for coming. That now we're good. Uh, Brad mm-hmm. Beal and Russell Westbrook in the playoffs, first round against the Sixers. That could be interesting for mm-hmm. like four games, but like that's it. Uh, and then out in the West, Golden State making that push. Maybe getting that eight seed Utah Golden State first round. I'd be open to see that. So Golden State is a game out of the eight spot right now. So I'm I am totally down for that. And New Orleans is right behind them too. So I, I'm enjoying this. I, mm-hmm. I, I love I love the play in for the eight seed. I I, I enjoy that thoroughly. Jonesy, you look perplexed, man. Cause I'm torn. Mm-hmm. I personally, personally, I love seeing more teams engage down the stretch of a season. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actual play, playoffs, eight teams from conference is already more than half your league. True. So when we start adding teams, we're at like 60% of the league is in the playoffs. Why are we even having a regular season at that point? Mm. It- Go ahead. It turns into it turns into the problem that baseball seems to be having, because uh, Major League Baseball added an extra playoff team to their season this year, mm-hmm. and 
I, for as much as I love the play-in tournament for the NBA, I don't like the extra wild card team for baseball. Uh, four teams, three division winners, and one wild card. That's cool. That's fine. When you start to take, and I agree with Jonesy on this in the fact that when you add more teams to the playoff pot, it makes it less special to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I can, I do agree with him on that, but it's good television, it's good theater. So especially in the NBA, uh, and I agree with where, that. <laughs> and I do agree like with you that. see it's you're seeing. Television. You're seeing Zion making the push that he's making over the last like month, trying to get New Orleans into the playoffs. Uh, playoff Zion, yes, please and thank you. Okay, so um, out west, there's another team I talk I want to talk about. I actually posted about this the other day, the Phoenix Suns, and Chris Paul has them what sitting in the number two spot right now out mm. west. And in my opinion, this is easily the best team Chris Paul has had is around him in his career. So better better than those teams in the clip better than those Clippers teams with, with Blake who Griffin. Who's the second best player on the Clippers? Blake Griffin? Blake Griffin, okay. Yeah. What does Blake Griffin look like in his career without yeah. Chris Paul? No, no, no. I mean DeAndre Jordan. Well look DeAndre Jordan's in NBA years is about two hundred and seventy years old. Athletes who are put in a position by Chris Paul to be mm-hmm. excellent finishers. Mm-hmm. Chris, Blake Griffin has developed his skill set over the years, but early in his career, especially during those years, he was an athlete. He was not a basketball yeah. player. Yeah. Back Chris in his, Paul, yeah. Chris it was, Paul it was Lob City. Guys up. It was Lob City. It was Lob City. They were exciting to watch because you knew, you know, it it was it 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 was Seattle. It was Seattle SuperSonics light. You know, whereas I think there was a little more. There was a little more meat to the to 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 the steak in Seattle. When it was uh, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, but what attracted you to Seattle back in those early night, back in those early nineties, or I should say late nineties, sorry, but you know you knew you were going to get Gary Payton, you were going to get Sean Kemp, and you were going to get all those exciting dunks and Sports Center highlights, and I think that's what you got with the Clippers, early, you know, early on when it was Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. You know, you got excite, you got Sports Center plays, you got all those alley oops, you got all those dunks, but when it came time to actually sit down. And win a series. So it, I, but I, I think I would say, I would say the best team that Chris Paul has been on was the was the Rockets teams, and I'll tell you why. Because Chris Paul never really had a backcourt running mate like James Harden, and the Rockets were one Chris Paul hamstring away from finals trip. Mm-hmm. You are Chris absolutely not right. Injured mm-hmm. in that series against Golden State, mm-hmm. Rockets would have made that final. They were up three one when a, he got hurt, mm-hmm. and it's a damn shame that uh, Chris Paul was robbed of that because then he has to continue to carry this moniker of can he get it done in the playoffs? Mm. The only reason For, I didn't I mean, say no, as long as said the only reason I didn't say Houston was the better team than Suns around Chris Paul was because of the way Dan Tony with that system would stagger Harden and Paul's minutes and not really yeah. use them together too much. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. So, so, so Harden and Paul didn't really get the benefit of playing yeah, with that. each other as much as, you know. So with this, t- with the guys on the floor consistently with Chris Paul and Phoenix, 
I think this is the best unit he's had out there with him. So let me ask you this. If this oh, is... Also, last thing about the, the Rockets team. Last thing about the Rockets team. Shout out to Daryl Moore, who's the GM. He was, <laughs> he was like, listen, I know the Warriors got KD and Clay and Kyrie and Draymond and all like that. I'm not just going to bow at the field goal state. We're going at them. Mm-hmm. F it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting Chris Paul. I'm getting I'm, – I'm going to stay competitive. I'm not just going to hand them the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you this, Jonesy. If this is the best team that Chris Paul has been around, what's the ceiling for this team this year? How healthy is LeBron in the playoffs? That Everything hinges on that. Because if LeBron is not yeah. – or AD are not 100% in the playoffs, mm-hmm. I think Phoenix's ceiling is, the, is a finals run. I'm not saying I expect them to beat Utah, but I think they're I, capable of beating Utah. I would agree with that simply because simply for one question. Um, can Michael can Mikael Bridges hang with LeBron in a seven game series? Mm-hmm. And if he can't, who's guarding? Who on Phoenix is guarding LeBron for seven game, for four games more? They don't have one guy on that roster that can that can deal with LeBron James in a in a playoff series. Not one. Maybe Jake. Maybe Jay Crowder. Maybe he, he'll put up a fight. But, but that's that try. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I will say Phoenix can. Phoenix will be able to outscore the Lakers. That's for darn sure because they have Paul and Booker. And Aiton has had a really good season. He's in the he's in the upper 90th percentile as a, a pick and roll roll man. So he's added that to his game a lot better. I mean, that's kind of what happens when you have one of the best pick and roll ball handlers of all time in Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is actually starting to look like an NBA role player. And Cameron Johnson, remember, I I thought that was kind of a bust pick when they took him at 11. He shoot like 40% from three on like five attempts a game mm-hmm. so I, I i guess shout out to james jones for picking him out i guess maybe but again i think a lot of that goes back to chris paul you pointed it out when it comes to Aiden being in the pick and rolls but for shooters as well when that pass comes on time and on target in the shooting pocket it's a lot easier to step into one and knock it down than if i have to get yeah. here yeah. or reach there and then adjust so the skill of chris paul makes everyone around him better chris paul is going to get you the ball where you need the ball you know that that's and that you know exactly chris paul chris paul is is a jonesy guy you know they're they're the they're the guards that jonesy just can't (laughs) stand but you know chris paul will never get on that list chris paul is probably a one jonesy guy the facilitator Mm -hmm. somebody who can get you buckets when you need buckets but will but won't shoot you out of a game. You will never hear, uh, there'll never be a story of, of Chris Paul dribbling out the shot clock and taking a dumb shot with like three with, with three seconds left. He's going to get you the ball where you need it. And, and, and I appreciate that because that keeps Jonesy out my, my the group chats and out my text inbox with complaints. <laughs> you know, you, oh, yes. you, you, you watch I, I it. I do actively maintain a list of point guards I don't believe you could ever win with. Yes, so. we're, we're, we are waiting on that show. We're going to have that show at some point in time, probably in the offseason, the all-time point guards you can't win with by Mike Jones show. 
Because people have been begging for that. Because we talk about that all the time. So, so I don't have another one that's in that same group. He's not going to shoot you out of a game. Mm-hmm. And he'll get you the ball when you need it. And mm-hmm. he knows when to take over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He understands situational basketball instead versus hero basketball. Mm-hmm. Some guys just want to be the hero, do everything. He's Other right. guys understand the situation. They're going to make the best play for the situation. He's a thinking man's point guard. He's mm-hmm. he's a, he's the thinking yes. man's point guard. All right, real quick in in the in the East, in the East, you still got the Sixers on top. Uh, right now, t- as of today's show, tied with tied with Brooklyn. Sixers on a little with bit the of a losing. Holding the tiebreaker. Yes. With the Sixers holding the tiebreaker right now, top uh, they tie for the top. How do a deal now that I have now that we have you on the show? Where do you see the East shaking up? How do you see that shaking up? I said I said it at the beginning of the season when it was Katie and Kyrie. I said it again when they traded for Harden. I'm not afraid of Brooklyn. I'm really not because mm-hmm. they don't. They I said this before on so many Liberty Ballers comments and columns and Twitter. Brooklyn plays negative defense. You can't win an NBA title when you're in the bottom half of the league in every defensive category. Mm -hmm. I will say, after last night's game, I am way more afraid of the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm -hmm. And it's for two reasons. One, I feel like they have a more rounded team. Kyrie needs the ball. KD needs the ball. Harden needs the ball. Giannis doesn't necessarily need the ball. Drew Holiday doesn't necessarily need the ball. Chris Middleton doesn't necessarily need the ball. Dante DiVincenzo, Brooke Lopez. Like, there's a theme with Milwaukee. They have a chemistry about them that makes them really dangerous in a seven-game series. Because, yes, you're going to have the Giannis MVP triple-double performance for one game. But, hey, you may also get... Chris Middleton going up for 45. You might get uh, Brooke Lopez going five to six from three. You might get Dante going seven to eight from three. Like, there's so many different ways that Milwaukee can beat you. There's only one way Brooklyn can beat you. KD goes off, Kyrie goes off, Harden goes off, or some combination of those three. Mm. But they don't play defense. There's not one person... That is an answer for Joel Embiid underneath. There's not mm-hmm. one. DeAndre Jordan is too old. Blake Griffin is too injured. And they traded away their probably their best person to deal with Joel Embiid and Jared Allen. Mm-hmm. And Lamarcus Aldridge their best just retired. Rim protector, mm-hmm. And they traded him away. And Lamarcus Aldridge is retired. And even with the healthy Lamarcus Aldridge, I don't know how much he's going to be able. He would have been able to stand up against Joel in a seven game series. Sixers, Brooklyn, like that's going to be one of those series where Embiid goes off for like 35 and 17 a game. Mm-hmm. But against Milwaukee, that series would go seven. Against Brooklyn, that series could be over in five if Embiid is having an MVP type series. So, And I really hope that the Sixers hold on to the one seed because they've lost three straight. I would much rather than be the one seed and have to deal with one of Brooklyn or Milwaukee as opposed to being in the two or three slot and have to deal with both of them to get to the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Real quick, 
before we, before we move on, Knicks will have won eight straight as of t- uh, as of today. Old question that we always ask: for real or full fake? The New York the, Knicks. The Knicks. The, the Knicks. The Knicks are ruining my favorite playoff series that I want, and I don't think it's gonna happen because I don't think they're gonna, they're gonna stop losing, mm-hmm. and it sucks. Knicks, Brooklyn in the first round. I wanted that so bad, but I don't think I'm gonna get it, and that sucks so bad. No, it, it, I, I hear you. It, I, I feel like I wanted to see the city of New York explode. I, it's like I I I, I want to see that too, and and I feel like I I don't get I don't get it because I'm not quite sure other than other than Jay Z, like who's a real Brooklyn Nets fan? Like you know, you all you know all the people, all the celebrities who are the Knicks fans, you know, and and Brooklyn's been. They've been in Brooklyn for a long time, but it's like uh, I always see it, it's like it's like the, the the Lakers and the Clippers. You know, remember you used to always see all the celebrities at the Lakers games, and I always used to feel like the Clippers games would be filled with all the celebrities who couldn't get tickets to the Lakers games. That's what that you know, and that's 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 Brooklyn and 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 the Knicks. Even though the Knicks have just been just garbage now for what. 10, 15 years now, <laughs> but 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 still they still carry on that mystique. But nonetheless, Knicks fans are you know they feel like the the Knicks are coming back, and they've been been begging for this since since Carmelo, since since Steph Marbury, since you know since uh, broken down Steve Francis. You know they they want the Knicks to be back. They see the Knicks on this on this win streak, and I. I don't know if they're just a team just playing good bat, you know, a, an okay team playing good basketball at the time at or are they for real? Are they a team that, you know, should scare some teams? Are they a team that should scare if you're if you're the Sixers, if you're Brooklyn, if you're Milwaukee, should you be afraid of the New York Knicks? Is it time to fear the New York Knicks? See, it's, I'll, it's I'll hard to say because the four-five matchup, the four-five matchup would be Atlanta, mm-hmm. and depending on how long Trey Young is going to be out, that's going to be uh, that that's going to be a not so interesting series. So, if the Sixers are one seed, you're looking at Sixers Knicks in round two, perhaps, and same with same with Brooklyn. Like, who do the Knicks have that can? Stand up to Joel Embiid in mm-hmm. the seven game series. Julius Randle? No, no, no. <laughs> like that, that's the, that's the thing. Like the Sixers, much like the Denver Nuggets, they have that one big man that no one has an answer for. Oh, I see. JV, you asked that question about the Knicks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you you noticed. I started laughing immediately. No, I, well, that's that's what I, I do. That's that's what no, makes me. On, that's what on, makes me the thinking man, on. point guard. I'm J- setting J- you up. No, no, J- hold on, JV. Because see, here's what happens. Uh huh. What happens? I, I'm I'm gonna have a moment of bit a brief moment of being extremely blunt. You get past the top three in the <laughs> East, mm-hmm. four through eight, you're looking at a lot of mediocre teams none i don't think any of them will make the playoffs in the west mm. you get past the top three in the east none, not a I question any, mm. i don't think any of them are locked none of them are locked to make the playoffs in the west i'm not sure any of them make it at all and if you're looking at those teams that I, 
asking me which one would I would fear. The only team below from four down that I'd even be worried about as one of the top three seeds is Charlotte. And that's all curiosity about playoff LaMelo. Hmm. That's what that, 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 that would all be my only, because I think every other team from four down is, is so extremely flawed unless they're playing another one of those teams in that range. They're extremely unlikely to win a series. Hmm. I hear you. I just want. I guess uh, Miami. You, Miami scares me a little bit too. Miami. Okay. Okay. Miami. Because uh, Miami is capable of because being Bam. Bam is playing really well. Uh, Jimmy Butler is still Jimmy Butler, so I can't ignore that, especially when he turns it up in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then whatever they can get from Oladipo is like gravy, and I still like. I mean. Miami doesn't really have anybody from a point guard perspective, you know, old, old ass Goran Dragic, and like <laughs> that's it. And Tyler Hero is kind of taking a step back from season one, season two. Like he's not, he's not the flamethrower he was last year, and that's really hurting Miami right now. No, and that's something. And Josie, that's something you and I talked about, especially last season when we talked about the job that Jimmy Butler did with that Miami team in the bubble, getting them ready to play in the bubble and kind of predicting whether there would be some drop-off from how they played when it when it was in the controlled environment of the NBA bubble to getting back to somewhat of a more normalized regular season. The, the JB, I don't know if you remember this conversation when mm-hmm. we had um, Sullivan Phillips on. He's a guy who used to play overseas basketball. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing just the differences about just as far as what the, what the basketball you were seeing in the bubble the effect of not having fans in, in mm. the building cannot be overstated. Mm. Like there are guys who, right. even against the be- like the best of the best competition, you put them in a practice gym where there are no crowd fans in the building, Buck. they will be the mm. best guy you have Buck. ever seen play. Mm-hmm. But you got 15,000, 20,000 fans in the seats and it's different for them. Mm. And then there are other guys who, will be flat in the practice gym, but the energy from those 15, 20,000 fans will take them their game to another level. So the bubble basketball, while it was entertaining last season, from a lot of guys, I just expected to see a different version of that player when we got to this season, even if it's partial fans in the building. So from that standpoint... And this... And, and this point can also has to be, like, this can't be overstated either. Just the concept of being home. Like, you play for, like for example, the Sixers, and, like, you're home you're in Philadelphia area. Like, you have, like, your own bed. You have your own city. You have the place that you're familiar with. Like, that's, that's a psychological advantage that, honestly, only Miami had last, last year. Mm-hmm. Because while it was in Orlando, Miami's maybe like what, four or five hour drive? Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. nothing. But teams coming from Denver, Los Angeles, uh, wherever, asking them to go into Florida, uproot everything about their home, and then have this temporary home, like that's psychologically detrimental. Mm-hmm. And it gets to you after a while. You feeling this podcast? To hear this and more, go to soundcloud.com 
slash B-I-T-W Sports or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search Best in the World Sports. You're listening to Jonesy and Brown. Brown. I'm Council President Daryl Clark. It's crucial we stop the spread of COVID-19 in Philly. So follow this advice from the doctor and his friends. Stay home, keep social distancing, wear a mask when outside. Let's stop the spread. Hi, I'm Julius Dr. J. Irving. In the middle of the coronavirus outbreak, the best way to show brotherly love and sisterly affection is by keeping your social distance. Now more than ever, we all have to do our part to help save lives. That means staying at home to stop the spread. We all need to do our part to save lives. You know what that means? Stay at home, stop the spread. We can do this together. And now, a few thoughts from your boy Brown. I got a question for you guys. And and I need some help. Hope somebody can hit me up and can answer this question. Do white people put their summer clothes away for the winter? I really want to know this. This is is a legitimate question. Because anytime you see that temperature rise to almost 50 degrees, you start seeing 47, 48, 49, you will go outside and see a white person with some shorts on. And I got to be honest with you. I couldn't wear shorts this time of year if I wanted to. All my shorts are in a box somewhere in my basement. It'll probably take me the entire month of April just to find them. I don't know where they are. Meanwhile, white folks always seem to have shorts on deck. They always do. And they'll have the shorts on and the summertime clothes on when it's 50 degrees, 55 degrees, 57 degrees, whatever. Let me keep it real with y'all. Anything under 62 degrees, I'm still wearing my winter coat. Check out your boy Brown during the workflow weekdays at 2 p.m. on the Brown Folks Group, phillygoflow.com. The following is a production of the Lance J Radio Network and Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. The opinions and views expressed are certainly those of the host and do not represent the views of Lance J Radio Network. You're listening to Jonesy and Brian. Both you the crazy. Both Mike Jones and John Brian. Hey, we're talking with Adil Royster. Adil Royster. He is the self-proclaimed black correspondent for LibertyBallers.com. I, I, I want to senior, see, senior, senior oh, sorry, black the senior. Get it right, Jake. The senior black correspondent for LibertyBallers.com. <laughs> At some point in time, brother, we we are going to actually meet face to face. You know, you are vaccinated. I am vaccinated. At some point in time, I, I, I just want your business card. I want to see your business card with that title <laughs> on it. That's, that's all I want. I need a business card with it's, that on there. It's the, it's the Liberty Ballers logo on one side and the Black Power Fist <laughs> on, on the, the other side. side. Exactly. Exactly. All right, real quick. I, I want to ask you. I want. I want to ask you this because it's it's a debate that goes on. I know he's missed a couple of games, but I want to know who is the defensive player of the year, and why is it Ben Simmons? Uh, he guards one through five. Gobert doesn't. Mm-hmm. Debate over. Like that's it. <laughs> Why are, this this is not even a debate. Let's move. This, that was a, that was a 
Short question. Yeah, no, the short question. I would like to also answer that question. Go ahead. Yeah. Gobert can't guard him <laughs> either. Mm-hmm. He's way too light. I haven't seen Ben Simmons go up against anybody and not be able to guard him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, and honestly, once even you- when Devin Booker, even when Devin Booker lit up the Sixers last or back in February, yeah, Booker had thirty six points, but he needed thirty five shots to get those thirty six points. Mm-hmm. That's what. And so that's, and like and everybody, I, everybody wants to say go back. Everybody wants to say Gobert is the defensive player of the year, and everybody always forget that Embiid cooked him for forty two mm-hmm. in Utah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why is it and that? Why is it, it made when... him look like he was way too light? Mm-hmm. Like he's more of a help defender than a straight up man to man lockdown defender down in that post. Embiid Im- abused him down there. Why is it that when uh, a seventy sixer is primed to win a a postseason award in the NBA, there's somebody from the Utah Jazz with a problem with it? You know, it, it, whether it's whether Utah. it's always why why Utah be hating on us so much, man? Why what what has the what why, has the city of Philadelphia exactly? Why does Utah hate us so much? Why do they hate the city of Philadelphia? What has the city of Philadelphia I, I just, and the Philadelphia 76 has done to Salt Lake City, Utah, to deserve all this are hate? Y'all just mad? Listen, are y'all just are y'all just mad that the Pocos are better? Like, <laughs> what is it? I don't know. I don't understand. I don't get it. You can like get seeing it, you know? in is is just as fine as skiing in Salt Lake City. It's exactly. fine. Like there's no need to be all in your feelings about it, Utah. Just I, I, stop I, it. I don't get it. I don't get. I, that's all they do. That, that is all they do. You know, you you, you see Ben's. You know what what what's next? Rudy Gobert going to get a sweatshirt that says "Not DPOY." Is is that what he's going to do? Is, is is that his is that his? I'll next? tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is, and this mm-hmm. is a conspiracy that I have. Um, when it comes to Embiid for MVP, when it comes to Ben Simmons for Defensive Player of the Year, when it comes to Brett Brown or whoever for Coach of the Year, mm-hmm. Rookie of the Year with the Sixers, uh, Ben Simmons that one year, it's a theory that the NBA does not want to reward the process under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. They do not want teams to see that Doing it this way, you get an MVP candidate, you get a defensive player of the year, mm-hmm. you get an all-star caliber coach, you get somebody that in Daryl Morey, who's one of the five best general managers in sports, not just mm-hmm. basketball, but sports. Mm-hmm. The NBA does not want to see the Sixers get rewarded for any of that. So any excuse they can find, they will, like national media, maybe not the NBA, but national media, will not let the Sixers be rewarded for that. So and case in point with the MVP race, the the talk and I don't know if this is like perfect segue, I, but I the talk for MB for MVP is all the talk for MB for MVP is always has he played enough games? Mm-hmm. That's always mm-hmm. the talk with it doesn't matter how much better his numbers are, it's okay he played X amount of games less. There's some re- there are some seasons where that was true. All right, fine. Rookie of the year, fine, whatever. But MVP can't deny him that this year. Like he's neck and neck right there with Jokic. And the fact that Jokic is such a heavy favorite, I don't agree with that at all. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't agree either. 
uh, good good friend of the show, Ashley Baker, has a uh, Instagram live show, and she she had me on because she was making the case that she felt like there should be more talk about Steph Curry for MVP. And my take was, right now the Warriors ain't even in it. You know, it's like I, I can't give the MVP to to somebody on a team on the outside looking in. You look at you look at Joel Embiid and the season that he's having. I think the fact that you know, although although this is you can consider the MVP a personal award, you know, a, a personal award is you're rewarding them for what they've done for their team. I see right. Joel Embiid mm-hmm. on a team that is number one in the East. Um, and I see him dominating on both sides of the floor. That's why to, to Joel. Your point, to your point, JB, I'm old enough, as are you, as are both you guys, to remember when Carl Malone won MVP over Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Not because anyone believed Carl Malone had a better season yeah. than Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. but simply because the Utah Jazz had a better record that year. Mm hmm. So, if Utah this year, or excuse me, Denver this year with Jokic is is sitting in the four seed, Mm -hmm. and the Sixers are about to have a number one seed, what's the conversation? We're moving the goalpost Mm -hmm. simply Uh... because winning was, as far as I can remember, winning has always been a big factor in the MVP, Mm -hmm. except for Russell Westbrook's triple-double year. And I and I think honestly I'm to that point, broke, let, 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 let me jump in. Let, let, let me let me let me jump in real quick, because I think you you bring up a good point. Because that was also something that we talked about. I talked about on Ashley's show. You know, you talk about Russell Westbrook's triple double year. I think the first year, the first year he did it, when it was was something that none of us, you know, even us in, in our old age had not seen in our lifetime. That was what made it the you know that's what made it MVP worthy when he came back and did it the next you know the next year and they you know and Houston still wasn't you know a, a basically a factor then we're not talking MVP you know the conversation's different so you know you bring up you know, the the question I'm you know, I guess to answer what you brought up you know that was Russell Westbrook was an exception not an example. You know, that's all I'm trying. You know, that's that's all I got to say about that. I I don't buy into the whole standings being like a rec- a prerequisite for for MVP because like I'm okay with Jokic winning the MVP at the four seed because even though Westbrook got the MVP winning the doing the triple double for the season, Oklahoma City sixth, so they've proven that. They don't mind giving that award to a player that's lower in the standing. And if that's an excuse that they're going to use to give to Jokic, I mean, Jokic is having an amazing season. Embiid is also having an amazing season. But I, I, th- I think it's kind of a coin flip. If you want to give it to Embiid because his team is number one in the East, you're certainly that, that's certainly an argument. If you want to give Jokic the award because he's got – ridiculously often he's got ridiculous offensive numbers as well then that's another that's that's another point you can make but Jokic the odds for Jokic he's minus 225 and B is plus 325 it shouldn't be that it should be way closer than that 
Yeah, the spread should not be that close, that far apart at all. Um, it should not. So, I, I, so. I just don't. I, and I was going to. I was. I was honestly thinking, if Steph Curry, if they ride, if the Warriors ride Seth Curry like Zorro to get to that eight seed. If I had, if I had an NBA MVP vote, it'd go to Steph Curry. If I had an MVP vote, it'd go to Steph Curry. So, how much does it factor in? Would it factor in, if at all, for you that Denver is continuing to win after Jamal Murray went down? Does that, in your mind, increase Jokic's chance? I think I think that plays. I think that plays um, a part because I think there are people who would have who would have expected there to be some drop off. And you see a player who's playing at right. a high level, um, and and keeping that team playing at a high level, even though they've they've lost a major key. I don't know if that necessarily wins him the award, I but I think it helps. I think it helps that Jamal Murray. I think it helps Jokic's case without Jamal Murray because Jokic can spread his offensive wings a little bit more. He can score a little bit more, do a lot more passing. And you know what? I I don't think I don't think Denver. Completely out of it. Like mm-hmm. they they have Aaron Gordon, and they they can they can weather the storm a little bit with you know Jokic's passing ability and make him more of a point center. So I I don't think I don't think Denver's completely out of mm-hmm. uh, Western Conference Finals appearance. Uh, Utah is a completely different story without Donovan Mitchell. I think they're cooked. I think they're done. Mm-hmm. Um. Offensively, they I, offensively they can't hang with Phoenix. They can't hang with Denver. If the Lakers full strength, offensively they're not hanging with the Lakers either. Uh, Denver's gonna really have. I'm sorry, Utah's gonna really have to dig into that defensive well because outside of that, there's no way they're making the Western Conference Finals. There you have it. There, there you have it. I mean, that's that's a mic drop moment right there. You know. The Jazz are treading water right now. That's because they're work. That's because they're too busy hating on Joel the, the and, and 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 Ben Simmons for winning oh, yeah. postseason <laughs> awards. That's why they ain't focused. Do you think it's possible then that Phoenix I mean, could slide lost, into the one spot? They lost the Lakers by twelve in overtime last week mm-hmm. without LeBron and AD. They mm-hmm. came back and won. On the the nineteenth, but you could you could see like their their offensive cohesion is a little bit it seems a little off since mm-hmm. Mitchell went down. Mm-hmm. So, so the question uh, the question can, on the floor you was: do you see, Could you see Phoenix catching like them? A LeBronless, ADless Lakers team. Could you see the, Could you see the Suns catching them? Currently, two games back. Uh. Two games back, yeah. And the Clippers are three games back. And if the Suns are the and, number one team in and the I West, know everybody the playoffs, has, look out. I know everybody has written off the Clippers this year because of what happened to them last year. No, everyone's just simply refuses to believe in them again. But. Mm-hmm. I do think that Rajon Rondo addition is going to be a lot more important in the playoffs than people are than people are seeming to give that trip that move credit. 
I think yeah. Rondo. <laughs> playoff Rondo is a real thing. Real quick before I let you guys, I just want to put playoff something. Rondo was a thing. Play, yeah, it was. Can't deny that. Real quick before we let you go, this is just like just just a crazy question because you're talking <laughs> about uh, Utah and just whether they're for real or not. You put Utah in a seven game series against Portland. You think Portland could knock them off? You got Dame Lillard. Mm-hmm. Oh. Say Utah falls. Utah falls to the third seed. Phoenix catches them. Uh, Clippers catch them. They fall to the third seed. Is Donovan Mitchell playing? I'll give if you both. Donovan in- Mitchell's not playing. If I Donovan Mitchell, yeah. That's that's tough. At the very least, I think that series goes seven. I just don't mm-hmm. know which way. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're definitely going to have those games where Dame is just going to shoot those wins in there. And then you'll get the CJ McCollum game. Mm-hmm. God, that, God, that's hard. Might even, but with home court, might even get a hoodie court, mellow game. Seven. You might even get a hoodie mellow game at some point, you know? Dust them off real yeah. quick. <laughs> with with home with home court, I give the Jazz in seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Look, Adil Royster, tell us where we can find all of your senior black correspondents. We we need we need to know. People need to know where they can find you, okay. where they can get everything that you do, everything you got your hands on. What's up? So you can follow me on Twitter. At D.O.B. Royster, I'm sure Jonesy and Brent will put that in the comments and all like that. You can also find my stuff on LibertyBallers.com. I also have a podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. It's called Out of Sight. The premise of that podcast is that I take one column, one piece from the site in a seven-day period, and then I just kind of highlight that article with the author, and then we kind of deep dive into the piece. So that's every Monday. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Liberty Ballers. Listen to everything on the Liberty Ballers podcast network. There's uh, talking about podcasts. There's the Gastroenteritis Blues with uh, Steve J. Littman, Emily Anderson, and Dan Ollinger. Talking about podcasts is amazing. They just had uh, Keith Pompey on last week. Always, always a lot of different things go up on the site. Had a lot of different things go on the site last week. Um, an extended piece on how Danny Green's floor spacing has just made Sixers so much better this year. There's a piece coming up this weekend on Shake Milton, and I'm pretty sure there's another piece coming up next week on Matisse Thibel's increased play after the all-star break he's actually been doing really well in terms of like shooting his defense has always been there but that outside shooting starting to come along as like the the three of the three and d is really starting to come together for matisse and that's going to be really important in the playoff series against brooklyn for example when you need that extra wing defender to guard one of kd Kyrie, or harden Awesome, awesome. Once again, that is Adil Royster of LibertyBallers.com. Make sure you get all of his work and all of his pieces on LibertyBallers.com. Make sure you down, you download his podcast. You, lift, you listen to that. As soon as you finish listening to Jonesy and Brown, as soon as Jonesy, as soon as the Jonesy yeah, and Brown, Jonesy and Brown first. first, yes, listen to us first. 
and then you listen to Out of Sight on LibertyBallers.com. <laughs> Look, you got time, man. You got time. Make it for us. All right. Once again, tell us what you think of this podcast. Hit us up uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at B-I-T-W Sports. Download this podcast wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Best in the World Sports. He is Mike Jones. I am John Brown. Shout out to our guest, Theo Royster. Thank you for coming on. We will check you out basically whenever we feel like doing the podcast. It might be next week. It might be two weeks from now. Whenever we feel like sitting down in front of this microphone and talking some sports, we'll do that. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, man. Peace out, you guys. Have a great weekend. You feeling this podcast? To hear this and more, go to soundcloud.com slash B-I-T-W sports or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search Best in the World Sports. You're listening to Jonesy and Brown. Brown. Brown.